everybody. Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and today I'll be talking about what LGBT people drink and a little more. The LGBT community is convivial. We like to go out and have a good time. We have a history of imbibing for a lot of reasons. Some of us drink to blow off pressure. Some drink to loosen up amid hostile environments. Some drink to enjoy a good cocktail. Some of us drink too much for our own good. I myself like a good drink. I'm not alone. I love my gin. I am not in the majority, however. Gin, bourbon, and tequila are less popular with the LGBT community than vodka, beer, and wine by substantial margins. Marketing has been extremely effective when targeted to the LGBT community, particularly vodka and beer. A number of brands have been able to resonate with the LGBT community through ongoing campaigns and involvement in the community. The lesbian and gay community are pretty closely matched in their preference for vodka, although lesbians have a substantially higher preference for beer than gay men do, and lesbians have just a slightly higher preference for wine than gay men. The gay community has long relied on gay bars as oases and safe spaces. We need gay bars. We needed gay bars to become informed, mingle, disseminate information, get involved, and get the courage to come out. We didn't have a lot of other resources, and to this day, they still provide a lot of much-needed information about health, activism, culture, and community. So we drink. Oh, Will and Grace, Sex in the City, Broad City, Pose, Tales of the City, Absolutely Fabulous, and a whole bunch of other things, type of things. Sweetie dogs. Gay bars have amazing happy hours. We are happy to see our friends. We want to get lucky. We just broke up. We celebrate. We had a bad date. We just came from a hookup that went awry and the guy was insane. I don't know if that is the same thing these days. We had a great date. We had a great hookup. We go out. We whoop it up. We meet up to have drinks and catch up. We become connoisseurs. We have so many different concoctions made specifically for different times of the year, especially Pride Month, that it is very difficult to keep up with the variety. Queens love their vodka sodas, frozen margaritas. One of our faith places had them on special one or two nights a week for a buck each. Most people I know have war stories about tequila in particular. We now have gay beer. That's the brand. Remember when it was a sketch on SNL? We sip and glare from the bottom of our wine glasses. We do what Everyone else does, and we are only as human as everyone else. I love a nice liqueur at the end of a satisfying meal. Liqueurs and cordials are actually more popular than gin and tequila among gay men. Lesbians like tequila more than gay men do. Chapas and sparkling wines are about as equally popular among lesbians and gay men. Sweeties. Gay drinking. 
a major part of the culture. We have gay sports bars these days. Although Julius is in the village, now with landmark status, was always sort of a sports bar. According to nyclgbtsites.org, the name Julius dates from circa 1930 when the bar began to become popular with sports figures and other celebrities. By the 1960s, Julius began attracting gay men, although it was not exclusively a gay bar. Julius's website says, during Prohibition, Julius's was a popular speakeasy, and along with Nick's at the corner of 7th Avenue South and the nearby Village Vanguard, was frequented by many of the jazz and literary legends of the era. It started to attract a gay clientele in the 1950s, and it is surely the oldest gay bar in the city and the oldest bar in the village. And it is the site of the famous Sippin'. Look it up, kids. But anyway, we have Boxers with three locations in New York City. And Jim with locations in New York, Fort Lauderdale, and L.A. We have Leather Bars, The Eagle. While The Eagle NYC is not a franchise, it is one of dozens of gay bars across the U.S. and internationally with the word Eagle in its name. It's part of a tradition that goes back decades, as reported by NBC News in 2017. I used to go to the original Eagle's Nest, and Jack, the owner, allowed me to make a video of the inside shortly before it closed. It's on my YouTube channel, entitled, The Original Eagle's Nest, NYC, The Long Gone Gay Leather Mecca. The Eagle, NYC, is thriving today. We have scene bars pulsing with oots, oots, oots. We have country bars, even in Manhattan. We get around. We move from place to place. We hit hotspot after hotspot on a night out. Some of my own early experiences were very sweet. Some were intimidating. Some were downright scary. I learned quickly. And I had a few drinks. When I first came out, I was welcomed by really good guys at a few places that looked out for me. I am eternally grateful to those guys. I felt like I belonged because of those guys. I had to naively feel my way through a few uncertain, alien situations, and to my pleasant surprise, there were a lot of good fellows who kept an eye on me and the people who might otherwise have preyed on me. I was made to feel welcome. I was flirted with. I was flattered. I was happy to be in the presence of guys who made me feel that I was among my peers. And most of all, I felt that I was attractive to men I was attracted to. And I had a lot of good times. I almost disbelieved my good luck sometimes. However, some of us are conflicted and live in the closet. I knew a gay man, yep, just one who was married to a woman and fathered a child. Coincidentally, I actually know a good number of gay men who fathered children in heterosexual relationships before coming out, but almost none of them got lost. I have absolutely no idea how this one guy's wife was blind to the man's sexual identity. He did not conceal his gayness. When I first met him, I naturally assumed that he was gay. His presence, his choice of language, the topics of conversation, an affinity to other gay men simply led me to assume that he was an out member of the community. You know, gaydar. 
He regularly went out on the town from Long Island to Manhattan and drank so much that when I would meet up with him, usually after 3 p.m., he still had the strong odor of alcohol on his breath from the night before and maybe a nip or two to calm the shakes. We both worked in the restaurant business at a very well-regarded place, and substance abuse was is a well-known casualty of the industry. It attracts a lot of self-destructive types due to the proximity of booze and the expensive indulgence prevalent in that atmosphere. I can't imagine that at that point he still had the enjoyable experience a lot of people have when they sip a well-poured cocktail and then stop when they know they've had enough. I do know that he eventually wound up in prison due to repeated drunk driving convictions. He had a terrible problem. And a few issues. The statistics for substance abuse and self-destruction in the LGBT community are sobering. Gender identity, relationship status, ethnic background, religion and beliefs, disability, health, income, education, location, and perceived quality of life all factor into how we think and act on consuming anything mind-altering, including alcoholic beverages. The trans population is particularly vulnerable to substance abuse, as is the rest of the LGBT population. There are quite a lot of treatment options available to those who do, in fact, need assistance and counseling. I have the highest regard for those who help others in need and to those who recognize that they need help. American Addiction Centers uh, posted on their site, Why do gay men sometimes struggle with substance abuse? Research investigating prevalence rates for substance abuse in the LGBT community is not extensive. However, the bulk of it indicates that the rate of substance abuse is estimated to be between 20% and 30% or higher in gay and transgender people compared to about 9% in the general population. The rate of alcohol abuse in gay and transgender individuals may be as high as 25% compared to 5 to 10% in the general population. The use of tobacco products is significantly higher in gay individuals than heterosexuals. Some studies suggest 200% higher. Gay men are far more likely to use amphetamines than heterosexual men, as much as 12 times more likely. And I did a pod titled The Crystal Crisis about that very subject. Gay men are nearly 10 times more likely to use heroin than heterosexual men. There are most likely numerous reasons that account for the increased risk for gay men to abuse substances compared to heterosexual men. The American Psychiatric Association and the National Institute on Drug Abuse list numerous risk factors associated with an increased probability to abuse drugs or alcohol. These include heredity or genetic influences, early exposure to substance use, from parents or other family members, being diagnosed with a mental health disorder other than a substance abuse disorder, associating with individuals who regularly use drugs or alcohol, that is peer pressure, coming from a background of poverty, physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, workplace discrimination, discrimination in housing, 
Issues with the acceptance and recognition of same-sex relationships and of gay marriage continue to be an issue that can lead to stress for gay men. Discrimination in healthcare aimed at gay men can be subtle, or it can be forthright. And there are also issues with cultural competency in the healthcare system, meaning how gay men are treated, how trans people are treated. Specific types of clubs or bars have been traditional meeting places for gay men to feel safe while socializing with others. In these locations, drinking and smoking remain acceptable and often popular. As a result, gay men will often associate socializing with others who share their sexual preference with drinking, smoking, and using drugs. We do, regrettably, have a high rate of overconsumption. Sometimes you find out who your friends are when you overindulge. I have a few powerful recollections of gay men who fell victim to their excess. I mean, more than a few, a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. But, for examples, one was a very handsome fit jock who was such a terrible drinker that I had to be reintroduced to him on at least five occasions because he was so drunk I never even registered in his mind whenever we were introduced. I once came across him in a subway car on the way to work in the morning, and he had a completely blank lack of recognition of me, even though he had spent several hours hanging out during happy hour and chatting just a few nights before with a large group of gay men for what I believe was the sixth time. It was not awkward at all. Another was a 20-something casualty of the bars, and he lost his friends by staying after the happy hour was over. I used to see him dressed sharply, in good shape, bright and focused, witty and vivacious. Then something happened. He stuck around after the two-for-one was over. He lost whatever appeal he had. His appearance suffered. His skin became blotchy and uneven. His clothes became worn. The sparkle in his eyes left him and was replaced by bags under those same dulled eyes. His gut grew a noticeable paunch. His clever witticisms devolved into an incoherent cackle. All of his friends moved on, and he became a lush. He eventually became involved with older, sketchier types with ulterior motives who were very obviously using harmful party drugs. We had previously stopped going to the happy hour at that one place he was a regular because they poured extremely stiff drinks, and I just could not consume that much booze in such a short period of time without at least requesting it be diluted with mixers several times while having a few. And I did not want to get that inebriated anyway, no matter what the bargain. Two drinks with repeated refills of mixers full of calories and carbs were in reality more like six or even eight. Way too strong. I had a life to tend to, an apartment to clean, a job to get up for in the morning. I had to have my wits about me and not stumble around in a hungover haze and was just not interested in getting that wasted while we would visit the place. That poor guy sank into a bottle and I have no idea whatever happened to him. I hope he found some help. The other guy who did not recognize me also became worse for the wear and tear. It seems that alcohol was not the only thing he had a self-destructive dependency on. His boyfriend was also a jock, but because of the drugs they were both using, he had at least four heart attacks several years before he was 40 years old. Yikes! 
we did not keep in touch. That's the thing. We love to enjoy ourselves, but we also need to know when to stop for our own sakes. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get a nudge in the right direction. Sometimes we fall off a cliff and don't even realize it. I'm no saint and will never pretend to posture myself and lecture others on their lives. But I do hope everyone who enjoys a well-mixed bevy comes to terms with the idea of when to stop. I want to have a good time while I can. I want you to have a good time as well. Let's try to make sure we will all be able to. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out.